We're glad that you're here this morning. And while this morning is really about the vision of Harbor Church, I think it's important that you know that you should have a vision for your life that you should have a vision for your family, that you should have a vision for your kids, that you should have a vision for what the next season of your life looks like. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says this. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And many translations say that they cast off restraint And what those words really mean in the original language in some way is that the people become unkempt. I don't know what you think about when you think about an unkempt person, but honestly, I think about uh, myself this last Friday on that all-day rainy day where I just felt like, man, I can't quite get it together. I'm a little disheveled. I'm not really put together. I can't seem to get in the flow of my day. You ever have those days where you feel like, I just can't get in the flow of this day? And then the day comes to an end and you realize, man, I didn't really, really accomplish everything that I wanted to in this day. And the danger of living a life without vision is not just that you'll get to the end of a day and feel that way, but that you could get to the end of your life and feel that way. That you could reach the end of your life and have this feeling that that I never quite got into the vein that I was supposed to get into. I never quite caught the wind that I was supposed to catch. I never quite had the momentum that I was supposed to have. And see, what we've always said here at Harbor Church is that when it comes to our culture, if we want to be a certain kind of church, it begins with being those kind of people. If we want to be a generous church, we have to be generous people. If we want to be a worshiping church, we have to be people who worship. And in the same way, if we want to be a church that has vision for the future, we have to be people that have vision for the future. And one of the main things that can kind of knock us off course in our lives when it comes to vision is this idea of waiting, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had a vision for a certain season of my life or for something that I want to accomplish, and it just doesn't happen as quickly as I wanted it to happen. And it's in those moments of waiting that so often we find ourselves questioning. It's so often that in those moments of waiting that we find ourselves doubting, wondering if it's ever going to come to pass. Because we start out with this great vision, this great idea, and we want to see it come to pass, but then we don't quite know what to do in the waiting. And so that's why over the next few weeks, we're going to really kind of dive into this idea of what it looks like to be faithful in the waiting. But today I want to talk about it specifically in the context of vision. In the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, the prophet says this, he's crying out to God and he says, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision Make it plain upon the tables that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. That the prophet is talking about those moments where you've got the vision down. You know what the vision is going to be. But now you're in this moment where it seems like the vision is tarrying. It seems like it's taking longer than expected. And what we're doing today as a church is kind of this public idea of writing the vision and making it plain. Because how many know that sometimes when you're in those seasons of waiting, when you're in those seasons of uncertainty, you need something to go back and reference 
You need something to remind you why you started in the first place. You need something to remind you why you're taking the steps that you're taking because in that waiting is when it becomes so difficult to see that purpose. And some of you have a vision for your life, but it feels like you're in that waiting season. It feels like you're in that never-ending waiting season. You're in that gap where your life doesn't quite match the vision that you have for it. But can I just tell you, if you have a vision for your life, hold on to that vision. Write it down. Have something to reference that you can go back to to remind yourself. And each year on Vision Sunday, one of the things that we want to do is kind of unveil a theme for the next year. And as many of you know, as we've talked about, our theme for this next year is wait for the wind. And we're going to really dive into that theme over the next few weeks. But the basic idea is this, is that you want to step into things that have the momentum of God. You want to step into things that are driven by the momentum of God. Because when you try to do things in your own strength, when you try to build your own engine to propel things forward, that's when you find yourself exhausted and depleted and frustrated. But when you step into the things that God is doing, you have the wind of God at your back to push you along and to drive you along. And that's what today is all about, is us just saying, listen, we're going to show you some things that over the next year we've been praying about, we've been talking about, we've been having conversations with partners about, and these are the things that we feel like the wind of God is on for the next year at Harbor Church. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you feel responsible to like drum up excitement, to like get everybody going about something. It's a really exhausting place to be when you kind of feel like you're the cheerleader that has to get everybody all piped up. You really have to get everybody going. It's an exhausting place to be. But I can just tell you there is a built-in excitement when you start to talk about the things that God is doing in your life the things that God is moving in your life. And so that's what we want to talk about, and that's what we kind of want to unpack today. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, vision is not just about what do I do for my own life. What do I want my own life to look like? The, the vision for your life when you're a follower of Jesus has to become focused on how God can use your life to impact other people. And so if you're in this place this morning, maybe you're in here and you say, I've never really had a vision for my life. I've never really understood a way that God can use me in life. I hope that today that changes. But for some of you, you may have a vision for your life that, that you just realize and you just know I have not been lining up with. I have not actually been taking the steps that God has for me in that vision. And so what I want to do before we kind of jump into the initiatives of the next year is I just want to give you kind of three things to look for when you're looking at the vision of your life. If you feel like you already have this plan set out for your life, I think these are good things to run that through and to see, is this kind of something that God would want for my life? And if you don't, I think they're good questions to ask as a starting place. And these are the questions that we look at as we look at initiatives that we want to take on over the course of the year as our church. And the first thing is this, is that a vision should always exceed your ability to accomplish it. A vision should always exceed your ability to accomplish it. See, when God puts a vision on your life, I can tell you this, it's going to require other people. It's going to require that you get other people involved. It's going to require that you have other people to help walk you through it. And this is why it's so important that we lay out a vision as a church. Because I cannot do the things that we're going to talk about. You alone cannot do the things that we're going to talk about. 
But together as a church, we can do the things that God has called us to do. And the same is true for your own life. You should not be able to set out and accomplish everything on your own that God calls you to. Because God sets us in community for a purpose. It should require others. And the other thing that happens when the vision for your life exceeds your ability to accomplish it is that it requires faith. It requires faith. See, when, when you look at a plan that you know you cannot not, not accomplish on your own, you have to have faith in God that he's going to step in in those moments where you can't carry it through. You have to have faith in God that he's going to provide when you don't have enough. You have to have faith in God that he's going to bring the right people around. See, if we want to be a church of faith, we have to put ourselves in a position to need faith. We have to put ourselves in a position to be reliant on God. It's going to require others, and it's going to require faith. You have to have a vision for your life that includes those things. Number two is that the best visions for life marry what could be with what should be. They marry what could be with what should be. Now, this is actually a kingdom principle. All throughout scripture, we see Jesus praying, God, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a phrase that is repeated time and time again throughout scripture. When Jesus' followers ask him to teach them how to pray, this is a driving theme of that prayer that, God, would you let it be here on earth as it is in heaven? And so the vision for our lives and the vision for our church should look at some things and say, that should not be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like it could be different. And, and in your own life, you need to pay attention to those things that you personally notice, that you say, you know, I don't think that should be that way. I, I don't think that people should have to live like that. I don't think that people should have to endure that. And there's something that I can do about it. It marries what could be with what should be. And then finally, and this one is very important for us as a church, is that vision and miracles actually go hand in hand. Vision and miracles go hand in hand. See, we're a church that believes that God can and still does do miracles. We, we believe that he is able to do that. But here's what we also need to realize is that so often seeing a miracle is really about seeing an opportunity. Seeing a miracle is really just about seeing an opportunity and stepping in to that opportunity. Too often, we view miracles as this kind of extravagant, otherworldly thing where God steps in and we do believe that that can happen. But I can tell you this, a meal is also a miracle for someone who is hungry. Right. Paying an electric bill for somebody who can't afford it is a miracle for them. Uh, providing a home for somebody that doesn't have a home is a miracle. Adopting a child and bringing a child into your family when they don't have a family, that is a miracle. And so what this Vision Sunday is about for us as a church is just saying, here are some opportunities. Here are some opportunities that if we step into them, when we look back on them in about a year, when we look back on them at our next Vision Sunday and we say, this is what we said we were going to do and this is what we did. Last year, there were opportunities. Now look, they're miracles. Last year, there were opportunities, but now, look, God has met us like he said he would. He's done what he said he would do, and now what was an opportunity is now a miracle. And so today, I really just want to lay out kind of four things that are the opportunities that we have over the next year to take some ground as a church. 
And when we do this each year on Vision Sunday, the way it will usually look is there will usually be some things within our church, within our region, and then outside of our region altogether. Because we believe that we exist to make disciples. And when Jesus gave us that commandment to go and make disciples, he said to do it in your own area, in the areas that surround you, and all around the world. He said, don't just be focused on one have a full focus, a global focus. And so that's really what we want to do. And so I want to talk through some opportunities, beginning with opportunities right here in our church. And so what that looks like inside our church this year is adding some things that we have not had before in order to have some new opportunities to serve. And the first one is this. In this fall, we will be adding a legacy team to Harbor Church. Now, what is the legacy team? It's actually the next slide, uh, the black one, the, is the legacy team. So what is the legacy team? So a legacy team is really a, pe a group of people who want to serve through giving. Now, let me explain this to you because the next two are, are kind of like financial in nature and people get a little squirrely when you talk about finances in church. And so here's the thing about the financial team or the, the, the legacy team is this is not a financial team where it's like we're going to recruit you to try to be on this team to give more money. That's not what this team is. This is a team of people who basically self-identify as people that we want to be givers above and beyond normal giving. And you might be sitting there thinking, that is not me. That is not where I fall. And you know what? That's actually okay. Because here's what we believe. We believe that everyone in the church is called to give. Like we all give of what we call a tithe, where we, we believe that as followers of Jesus, we give 10% of our income to the church to further the work of the kingdom. That's something we believe we're all called to do. But there are people, when the, when the Bible talks about in the book of Romans, the different gifts that God gives as spiritual gifts, one of those gifts is generosity. And that means that there are people that are uniquely gifted for generosity. And you probably know some of these people. Have you ever sat with people that they just tend to always beat you to the check? They tend to always, you know, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. They're generous people. What you maybe don't know, what you actually definitely don't know, is that we have people in our church already who, as we were stepping into the season of launch, they literally came to us and they said, the way that we feel called to serve is to give. And they stepped up and they gave in extravagant ways that allowed us to launch with margin more than we had even planned for. Like coming in to launch, we had budgeted and we had planned to say, okay, for, for at least six to eight months after launch, we need to have this, this set bit of margin so that we know that if, if giving's not what we expect, if we don't get what we expect, that we're going to be okay. We're not going to have to like close up shop immediately or anything like that. And people came along and said, we want to be generous beyond what we were going to give. We want to give more. And what it's allowed us to do is it's allowed us to have more margin than we expected. Now, what that has meant that we've had more margin than we've expected is that we have been able to do some things for some other people that we did not expect to be able to do, that we were able to kind of step outside of our budgeted items and do those things. See, we're all called to give, but there are some people that have this gift of generosity, and we want to make a place for them to be able to communicate the needs of those within and outside of our church that they might be able to step in and meet. And one of the best ways I can kind of describe it is this, just in the same way that we're all called to give, but some are called to lead in generosity, we're all called to be worshipers. But there are some people that are gifted to lead in worship. 
Like when we come together on a Sunday morning, everybody sings, everybody joins in worship, but, but not everybody would feel comfortable getting on stage with a microphone. Not everybody would feel comfortable in that leadership capacity. And so we want to make a place for those who want to lead in generosity. And that's what the legacy team is going to do. And as a part of that team, you will be made kind of aware of some different needs that can be met through that team. And what it also does is we have committed to not be a church where we come together and we're constantly asking the congregation for money. And we're constantly saying, we need money because of this. We need money because of that. What we've decided to do instead is every year on Vision Sunday, we lay out things that we have budgeted for. These things are going to happen. But then through generous giving from people that goes above and beyond, we're able to go further than what we planned. We're able to do more than what we planned. So this is not about, oh, we need more money to do the things God has called us to do. No, we, we will plan and we will budget and we will do those things. This is about how much more can we do through people who feel as though their gift is to serve in generosity. And so that's the legacy team. There will be an opportunity to kind of let us know, hey, I feel like that is the team I want to serve on in the coming weeks. It's launching this fall. You'll get some information about that. Like I said, it's not something we're going to ask you to be a part of. It's something that we want you to come and say, I know this is something that I want to be a part of. The second thing is this. It will be another yearly initiative, and it's the legacy offering. And this is where once a year, we'll come together as a church. It's on December 12th this year. And one time each year, take up a special offering to go again towards needs outside of those needs that we've budgeted for. This is the time of year where we want to be able to step in and meet needs in our community. This is the time of year where we want to be able to fund things for people who are coming up short around the holidays. And we as a church want to give one opportunity each year to be a part of those things. And so on December 12th, we will together all participate in the legacy offering. And then we're going to kind of move outside of the church and look at our community for this year. And that will be this on Saturday, April 23rd, we will have serve day right here in Sarasota. I'm really excited about this. where We'll be serving the community. And this is a strategic time for us as well. This is the Saturday right after Easter. And it's that Saturday for a reason, because the Sunday of Easter is one of those weeks where a lot of people come to church that normally wouldn't come to church. And what happens is in those times, we're often made more aware of the needs of people that are not necessarily regularly connected to our church. And so we're able to help with those needs. But beyond that, it's a time where those people who are kind of like just joining us can jump in and be a part of something immediately. Like everybody wants to serve the community. Sometimes it takes time for people to want to show up at a dinner party or show up at a Bible study or show up at someone's house. But when you say, hey, we're going to all get together and we're going to serve our community, that's a time where everybody can jump in and be a part. And so what we're going to do on that day is we'll be partnering with five local nonprofits all across the city of Sarasota to do different serve projects here in our community. And we've targeted two specific areas that we want to be involved in. One we're sitting in, which is the Newtown area right here in Sarasota. Uh, you may not realize this if this is kind of the only time of the week that you come over here, but this is one of the neediest areas in our community. We're surrounded by it. We're surrounded by people who have some of the greatest need in our community. Some of the lowest income rates, some of the highest crime rates are right here within just a few miles of where we're sitting. And so we've talked to a local nonprofit right here in Newtown that helps uh, specifically teenagers in this area that we'll be doing some work on the 23rd, uh, kind of a, a place that helps them get back on their feet, have kind of uh, in-between housing. And I love the program that they do because it's gained towards restoring them. 
It's not gained towards keeping them in the program. It's, it's, it's pointed towards restoring them into society, helping them get a job, helping them get on their feet, helping them move out from that housing and into their own housing. And they have a great success rate with it. So we'll be partnering with them. And the second area that we've kind of targeted is also not far, but right downtown on Central. And I don't know if you've ever driven downtown through Central, if you've driven through that area of town, but it's kind of one of the areas that many of the homeless people in our community sleep at night. They pool their resources at night. And, and if you go down there, you, it's literally lined with homeless individuals, with, with people who don't have homes. And it's kind of this crazy juxtaposition because if you just keep going and you drive into downtown, there's some of the greatest wealth in our community. And yet just a few blocks from there, there are some of the people that have some of the most need. And so we've partnered with another organization in our community that's going to help us do a food drive in that region and help to get some of those people food and clothing and, and, and necessities that they need to, to kind of survive and to help work back to get on their feet. And so we'll be doing that on Serve Day. We'll also be partnering with some other kind of different nonprofits that do just some other things throughout the community, like showing up at laundromats and just taking care of everybody's laundry for the day, providing water for people who don't have water in parts of our community. And that'll be all kind of condensed on to serve day on April 23rd. And this is one of those days that I want you to go ahead and mark your calendars for, plan to be there, plan to be a part of it. If you're interested in being a leader on that day, we're going to have team leads for each and every one of those areas. We would love for you to get involved with that, but it's going to be an incredible day just to really let our community know that we're here, that we love them, that we see the issues that they're having, and that we want to be a part of the solution for those problems. I'm really excited about that. And then finally, I want to move to kind of globally what we're doing in 2022. And I'm really excited because on June 20th through June 25th, we'll be taking a team of people from Harbor to Nicaragua to minister in a barrio there that my wife and I have had a lot of experience with over the years. And it's going to be an incredible trip. I just want to walk you through kind of some of the details. It'll be June 20th through 25th. The cost per person is $1,500. Once that uh, you're on the ground in Nicaragua, that covers everything. That will cover your flights, your food, uh, your lodging. Everything while you're there is completely covered. And, and while we're there, the church will take on ministry costs of $2,500, which will help to um, kind of man the feeding program that we'll be a part of to help with some of the building supplies for the houses that we'll be building and kind of take on some of the trips of the or cost of the trips, excuse me. And then on this next one, you'll see this is kind of the objective of the trip. While we're on the trip, basically what we'll be doing is we'll be providing provisions for families within this community. That's uh, packets of food that will last them several weeks. We'll be building homes and we'll be partnering with the local feeding program and the church to help with their ministry. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about what we do when we're there because this is something that we're really passionate about is the main objective while we were there is in those uh, four days that will be actually in the barrio, in those four days, we'll actually be building three homes for families that do not have homes. And basically the story behind these homes, the story behind these people is that they were kind of pushed into this community that is literally a trash dump. It is literally a trash dump. And so the, the, the government essentially wanted the land they were living on, and they pushed them out to this trash dump to basically say, like, you can fend for yourself, and you can live out there, and you can survive out there because a lot of people's trash is there, and you can live on their leftovers. And so there's thousands of people scavenging and living and making homes out of the things they can find in the trash dump. 
And so literally we pull up on a Monday morning to this barrio we pull up to this family who often will have a home that is made out of plastic. We've seen homes made out of essentially saran wrap. We've seen homes that are made out of uh, sticks and, and, and basically garbage. And we, we pull up to these homes, and by the end of that day, that family has a home. By the end of the day, that family has a shelter. By the end of that day, that family has a place that will withstand weather. But the most important thing is this, is that these homes not only increase just the quality of their life, they actually increase the health of these families. Because these families, for the most part, the children in this community die at an extremely high rate, almost completely because of respiratory issues. Because they're living in the dirt, they're living in the trash, they're living in the, in the mud. And we come in and we give a, a concrete floor and metal walls and a metal roof. And studies in that community have shown that the, that the infant mortality rate is cut in half when the family has a home that has a cement floor. Just when they have a home that has a cement floor. And so we go in and we build these homes and we man this feeding program and we minister in this village that we return to time after time. See, this is a long-term partnership where we have partners on the ground there in Nicaragua. So we return to these families. We've been doing this for about the last seven or eight years. And what's incredible is we have built homes for little kids who have now grown up to join our crews to help build homes for the other people in their community. They're now coming along and they're doing for others what someone did for them. And that's a miracle. A child whose mortality rate is cut in half is a miracle. But for us, it's an opportunity. This is a need that we can meet. This is a life that we can save. This is a family that we can help. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of this team as we go to Nicaragua next summer, as we build these homes, as we minister to these families. And before we go, I just want to tell you a little bit about our partner there on the ground in Nicaragua. His wife, or his name is Carlos, and his wife's name is Zulema. And when you go, and for the first couple of years I went, and you would assume that Carlos is from this community. He lives in this community on this trash dump. He built a church in this community on this trash dump. He lives there with his family, with his children. They've grown up there. And you would assume that he's from there. And for many years we went, and I assumed just that. I assumed that he lived in this community and he had a passion for his people. And so he built this church and he started this feeding program. And, and this feeding program is no small feat. They feed 250 kids three meals a week. And for those 250 kids, those three meals are their meals for the week. They eat on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And those are their meals outside of what they can find in the trash dump. Those are their only secure, they know they're gonna have them meals. Those three every week. And so he's done just this incredible work in this community. But what I found out after a few years about Pastor Carlos is that Pastor Carlos is not from that community. Pastor Carlos was actually a fairly successful man living in Managua, which is a large city in Nicaragua. And as part of his job working for the government, he was actually sent out to the barrio to help divide the land into plots. He was actually sent out there to be the one to kind of divide the different areas and say, okay, this is your space, this is your space, this is your space. And so he spent all of this time in this community dividing the land. 
being strategic about the land, figuring out exactly where different things should be, figuring out exactly where a store where they could get supplies should be, figuring out exactly a place where they can get gas could be, figuring out exactly a place for a bus stop that could take them into the city to have jobs could be. This was his job. And he would drive out there and he would do his job and then he would drive back into Managua to his family. He would drive back to his apartment in Managua, nice place with his family. And then one day, he felt like God was telling him to move to that place and to build a church. Now imagine this for a moment. These are the worst of the worst conditions and he does not have to be there. He does not have to be there. But he gets out there, he begins to build the church, he begins to build the feeding program, and then we begin to build houses in this community. And what's crazy is his job gave him the insight he needed to know where the most needy people were in that community. His job that had nothing to do with originally the vision that he had for his life was actually the exact thing that he needed in order to fulfill the vision that God had for his life. And see, I think on Vision Sunday, so often we think about like, how can I get outside what I'm doing now? When a lot of times we need to open our eyes and realize that God's gonna use exactly where you are right now. And you're gonna look back on it and you're gonna realize that it was preparing you for what he had for you. See, because Pastor Carlos, he drove out to that community time and time again. And I can't help but imagine that he was probably glad when he was able to pull back out of that place. I can't imagine times where he was glad to be able to get back to his family. I'm sure there were days where walking through the trash dump, dividing that land, figuring out the logistics of that land felt like a meaningless task. Felt like he had been just sent out there for no purpose at all. But now in that community, hundreds of, uh, hundreds of homes have been built. Hundreds of kids are fed on a daily basis. Hundreds of kids are hearing about the love of Jesus Christ for them as they eat the only meals they have for the week. And it's all because one man had a vision beyond just his meaningless task. One man noticed his daily task and said, listen, th th there's something I can do about this. See, Pastor Carlos stepped into that region. He stepped into that trash dump and he said, this is not how it should be and it could be different. This is not how it should be and it could be different. And I would ask us today, what areas of our lives, what areas of the people around us do we see that we say, this is not how it should be and it could be different, and I can do something about it. See, today what we've done is we've really laid out four opportunities that they have the opportunity to be a miracle for our church. They have the opportunity for us to look back on them in, in a year and say, I remember when they were just opportunities, and now I see them as miracles. I remember when it was just the announcement that we were gonna go to Nicaragua, and now I know the families that are living in homes. I know the babies that are getting fed. I know these families, that is a miracle. What we have an opportunity to be a part of today is a miracle. Would you stand with me this morning and bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room?